0: Let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 6, where Paul was reading for us earlier. I've entitled the morning's message, The Elementary Principles. And our text, um, I'm just going to read the first couple verses from Romans 6. Paul says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Um, Some of you may have heard the terminology justification. You know, we sing that song, justified. Okay, then I want to contrast justification in our first two verses here this morning with sanctification. These are two different things. Justification is when you came to Christ He forgave you of your sins, and as far as God is concerned, all your sins are forgiven, and um, uh, you've been justified. Okay, It's a one-time work that was done on Calvary's cross. Sanctification, on the other hand, is even though we are saved, there's this ongoing work that the Holy Spirit does that takes you from being a baby Christian, where you feed on milk, to becoming a more mature Christian as time goes by, into eating solid food like meat. And they actually use the analogy, babies drink milk, when you're growing up, you get to eat steak. And that's what most guys want for, for lunch today. So uh, let me put it like this. Justification is an act. Sanctification is an ongoing work. Now justification took place the moment you trusted Christ. You were declared righteous. The guilt was removed. Then God began a work in you that will continue throughout your life. I believe in instantaneous salvation. But sanctification is a lifelong process. In other words, justification is a means and sanctification is the end. Justification is for us and sanctification is in us. Justification declares the sinner righteous. Sanctification makes the sinner righteous. Justification removes the guilt and the penalty of sins. Sanctification removes uh, the growth and the power of sin. Now, up to chapter six, we made it up to six, Paul does not discuss the holy life of the saint, But from chapter 6 on, Paul does not discuss the salvation of the sinner. He is talking about the saint and the life he is to live when he is discussing salvation. Now he is discussing that. Therefore, the subject of this chapter, chapter 6 of Romans, is the ability of God to um, make sinners whom he has declared righteous actually Righteous. He shows that the justified sinner cannot continue in sin because he has died to it and rose again in Christ. Uh, to continue in sin leads to slavery. To sin uh, is the additional reason uh, for not continuing it. In other words, old things pass away, all things become new. And that's what you're saying when you're baptized. That subject here initially is going to be about baptism this morning. So, as we get into these first two verses, um, maybe it's a new terminology for you justification. God looks at you as though you've never sinned. But the reality is, we go through trials that produce, we talked about it on Wednesday night temperance, perseverance, character, uh, maturity uh, that we lacked from the day when we were first saved. Everybody with me so far? So, there's two different things there's justification. One act, Calvary's Cross. Sanctification, ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in my life, where Paul begins Romans six by saying, "Shall we continue in sin? Shall we, that grace may abound? Oh, God's in the forgiving business. Great. Let's sin. And he goes on to explain, no, 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 that's not how it works. Um, because Jesus died and rose again, what baptism basically is about. This morning, we will look at baptism through the lens of Hebrews chapter six. And that's where I'm gonna have you, uh, before you turn, let's, let's read the other verses, three through six, before we go there. So, uh, Romans six, verse three, or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, We are buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also will be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews, please. Chapter six, and the reason I have entitled this this morning, Elementary Principles, is because what we read in chapter six, uh, verse one, simply says, therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ let us go on to perfection and um, I'll just stop um, right there and he's talking to uh, these Hebrews evidently uh, the Hebrew believers have not moved on from the ABCs or the elementary principles we're going to be looking at six of them this morning Every born-again Christian should know their ABCs. Anybody who graduates from high school uh, should know the alphabet and how to put a word together. He's basically saying to them, you guys have been in the Lord for quite a while, but you're still dwelling on the ABCs. And what we have here is a gospel of Jesus Christ laid out in, in six different terms. So, um, evidently they weren't maturing in their Christian walk with the Lord, the sanctification part of it. If you go back to chapter 5 of uh, Hebrews and look at verse 12, Paul says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not Solid food, there's the analogy again. For everyone who partakes of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness because he's a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern good and evil. And so now we have in our, our first verse here, Paul's saying, okay, Um, enough of the ABCs it's time to put those things aside but the reason we came here is because um, there are some of you who are brand new Christians and there are six things that you should have down pat and so what we're looking at here in verses one and two are the six parts of the gospel of Jesus Christ that everybody should have down pat and you should be able to at a moment's notice, explain the gospel of Jesus Christ and the six things that are mentioned here. Um, from, uh, it says you're not laying again the foundation from dead works. So that's number one. And we're going to take it all the way through to the great white throne judgment, which is number six. So as we look at um, Number one here, repentance from dead works. For an example of this, I would like you to turn with me to Luke chapter 19. And I'm going to use Zacchaeus as an example of um, turning from and turning to. So let's use him as our example this morning. Let's pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 19. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich. I have to stop here and explain something. The Jews hated tax collectors more than anything else because the way they got paid is by extracting more than what they were supposed to and as a result, Uh, there was this animosity from the average person by the tax collector. And who are they collecting taxes for? Well, Rome, of course. And so they were, but what I want to point out here, he's a chief tax collector. So he would be all much more hated and despised by the average person. Goes on to say that he was rich, and he sought to see Jesus who was, he, he wanted to see Jesus but he could not because of the crowd, because he was of short statue. So he ran ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass his way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up, and he saw him. And he said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I'm going to stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all murmured, saying, he's going to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Do you have the feel for the crowd? They don't like the fact that Jesus was hanging out with the chief tax collector. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, now this is after he had had a meal with him, Lord, look, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I'm going to restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he is also a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. What has happened here? Well, the first part when a person becomes a Christian you turn from dead works. In Zacchaeus' place, he turned from being um, uh, the chief tax collector, he got saved. and um, So he turned from that, he gives half of his money away, and if somebody comes up to me and said, hey, you took more than you were supposed to, if that person comes up to me, I'm gonna give them four times more back. I call that fruit and proof that there was a real translation or work where he turned from and he turned to. Now, um, we read here, I want to get a little sidetracked and tell a story of uh, Charles Spurgeon, known as the Prince of Preachers. Makes me think of David Hawking for some reason. Uh, He lived... um, one of the greatest preachers of all time, Prince of Preachers. Lived in the late 1800s. I was doing a little research on him. I found in his library he had 6,000 books, most of them his own, okay? 6,000. So he also had a Bible school. Um, and one of the requirements to attend his Bible school was any of the students had to be prepared to give a three-point Bible study at any time on any biblical subject. So I want you to see the kind of, um, I'm gonna put up on the screen what uh, uh, his pulpit would have looked like. This is a screen that um, Charles Spurgeon had, would have been very famous in those days. A lot of them were even winding But you were really elevated. We're three steps elevated here. But in Spurgeon's day, and especially at his college with his students, he was way up, and that's what it would have looked like, or something very similar to it. Well, he was looking down, and um, the rules were that he could call out anybody he wanted to, and they had to go up, stand next to Spurgeon, and give a three point Bible study, whatever he wanted. So he went, you. Up oh, here. And um, the thing if it is, this guy that he he picked on was extremely nervous because he had to go in front of all of his students and he says, I want you to give a three-point Bible study on Zacchaeus. So he gets up, he's kind of a short guy, scared to death, and he begins to walk up. Charles Spurgeon's to his pulpit and Spurgeon looks down at him three point Bible study on Zacchaeus and he goes on um, from there he's kind of shaking in his boots as he's up there and he goes "Uh, uh, point one uh, Zacchaeus was a wee short man I am a wee short man (laughs) point two Zacchaeus was up in a tree. I am up in a tree. (laughs) Point three The Lord said to Zacchaeus, Come on down. I'm coming down. (laughs) And he made his way down. (laughs) Question As we look into this, as we look at our first example, I'm coming back here. But the first one, Zacchaeus, showed that he departed from dead works. But keep your finger here and go back to Hebrews where we read the second one is turning from but then having faith towards God. And that's, now let's go back to, that's the second one. Let's go back to Luke 19. And again, let's use Zacchaeus as an example of uh, faith towards God. Zacchaeus shows his faith towards God. Let's read again verses eight through ten of uh, chapter nineteen. Eight says, Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Lord, look, I've given half of my goods to the poor, and I have if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold and Jesus said to him "Today salvation has come to this house because he is also a son of Abraham for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost he turned from um, just thinking about himself taking the money becoming rich and now he has faith towards God it's demonstrated it's not just talked about and so uh, step number two is that when uh, the ABCs are elementary principles, we should all understand that we turn away from who we were and we now become a servant uh, to the Lord. All right, number three, let's go back to Hebrews. So we have thus far repentance of dead works, um, faith towards God, and then number two, the doctrine of baptism. And that's our subject in Romans chapter 6. So let's go back to Romans chapter 6 and uh, look at it a little deeper and discuss why it is a doctrine. Do you realize there's only two things that the Lord has asked us to do after we come to him? Two. One of them is do this in remembrance of me. Everybody in agreement? Uh, Has nothing to... Um, do with salvation but he asks us to do it anyway so we do that by communion but um, he also asks us uh, to um, believe and be baptized so we believe and now we have one of the things that we should have down is what is the doctrine of baptism why is it so significant Well, as as, um, Paul lays it out in Romans, um, the doctrine of baptism, again, is three through six, and we'll discuss them as we go through them. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So baptism is a type of death. Therefore, we are buried with him through baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Again, uh, 2 Corinthians, old things pass away, all things become new. But what was the prevailing attitude in Rome? Go back to verse one. Shall we continue in sin? God's in this sin-forgiving business. Great. Let's sin. And he goes on to explain, no, 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 no. When you got saved, and you got baptized, you are actually saying something's dying, just as Jesus died, and came back again, and you're not the same person, and you're outwardly demonstrating something that's happened to you inwardly. It's an outward declaration that, and you're showing it by going down under the water and coming up, let's continue, verse five, for we have been united together in the likeness of his death, Certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that the old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with so that we should no longer be slaves of sin. That's dead. You're dead to those things. But here's the thing with that, <laughs> is you have to die daily. And like I like to say, the, the difficult thing about dying daily is it's so daily. <laughs> And um, if you decide you're going to live in, in the flesh, well, you'll, you'll get convicted and you'll get spanked and you'll be reminded, don't you remember when you were baptized? Don't you remember what you were outwardly saying? That that's dead. That old man's dead. It doesn't exist anymore. And so you come up out, just like Jesus came out of the grave with a new body. So we come out of the water saying, old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. At least they're supposed to, and this is what the just justifi- justified or sanctification, which one? Sanctification. sanctification It's the ongoing work on a day by day basis. A uh, question: Why be baptized? Because I remember when somebody told me that I said I was baptized. My mother tells a story that when I was about six months old, they baptized me, and they're Protestant church I was in and she said, you screamed and yelled all the time they were trying to do it. Even then I knew it was wrong. (laughs) At At least that's the way mom tells the story. But I guess I was real rebellious about my baptism. Let me just say what you all know here. There's no such thing as infant baptism. Without exception, you cannot find it in the Bible. It's always believe and be baptized. And when you're six months old, I'm afraid you're not mature enough to make that decision. And um, uh, therefore, there is no such thing as infant baptism. Only after you have believed can you be. So why should you be? Uh, I went two years out of ignorance, um, not being baptized. Uh, Turn with me to Matthew chapter 28, and let's answer that question, why? Why be baptized? Matthew 28, uh, picking it up in verse 18. We call this, of course, the great suggestion. The greatest commandment, the great commandment, the great commission. Verse 18 Then Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore making disciples of all nations, then what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. Get saved, get baptized, and get into Bible study. All the things that Jesus taught the disciples. And lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. So I beg the question again. Why be baptized? Simple answer, because Jesus said so. You need any more reason than that? Let me tell you why this is important. If this is the very first thing as a believer that we are to do, and we don't do it, it sort of sets a precedent. If you're not going to do the first thing he's asked us to do, why do anything else? So if you're obedient in, in the small things, okay, I just got to say, it. now what? Well, now you need to be baptized. And uh, so if you're obedient in that, then it's more likely you're going to be obedient with the things that he was teaching and not being like the Hebrews, just hanging out in the elementary ABCs of what it means to be uh, a believer. So... Um, Let me just give you an example of baptism. Why don't you turn with me to uh, the book of Acts chapter 8. Acts 8. And let's look at uh, verses 8 through 13 in Acts 8. The setting here is Philip. He's in a Samaritan city and, and there's revival breaking out. People were getting saved. Uh, Unclean spirits were coming out of people. Um, People were, uh, the lame were healed and walked. Let's pick it up in verse 8. And there was great joy in the city, but there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city, and he astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed, from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorcery for a long time. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. And so here we have uh, this example of, of um, belief and they were baptized we're gonna find out, it goes on to say that even Simon himself believed and he was baptized and he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and the signs which were done. Now, I want you to keep your finger here like we did in Luke 19. We're gonna go back and read the next one on the list but we're gonna come right back here so let's go to, back to Hebrews chapter six. So we have the doctrine of baptism, but then uh, number four, the laying on of hands. So what is the laying on of hands? Let's go back to Acts chapter eight, verse 14. What do we have? We have people being baptized. Even the talent sorcerer gets baptized. Verse 14 says, now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, Uh, They sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they laid hands on them. Here we have one of the ABCs, and that is the laying on of hands with the purpose here for receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It hadn't happened yet. And so they call, um, and Peter and John come up, and when Simon saw that through the laying on the apostle's hand the Holy Spirit was given, he offered him money, saying, give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay hands may may receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, what was he previously known for? Everybody looked up to him. I call him the big man on campus, okay, okay? not anymore Philip right now is and everybody's listening to Philip and believing the gospel and um, in his heart he saw this power being transformed from the laying on of hands and they were receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit and he wanted in on that action here's the 20 and Peter rebukes him says your money is going to perish with you because you thought you could uh, the gift of God could be purchased with money. You're of neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart isn't right. The necessity of the Holy Spirit, we read in 1 Corinthians 14, without exception, when you're born again and you receive the Holy Spirit, everybody receives a gift. Everybody, without exception. Uh, from the gift of helps to the gift of miracles. And they are individual as the Holy Spirit decides which gift you're gonna get. And, um, but then it says that it's for the building up a body of believers. The, the Holy Spirit is given, one exception. If you're taking notes, is 1 Corinthians 14, verse four. And that is the gift of tongues. It tells us that's for self-edification. Okay, but all the rest of them are given so that you can build somebody else up in exercising your gift. Well, let's say you're like the Hebrews and you haven't got to that part yet and you're more interested in yourself and if that's your heart and you really have no desire to build somebody up um, in uh, faith by using the gift that the Holy Spirit has given you, why do you need it? You know, you don't. So you have to recognize I can do nothing without him. Good place for an amen. Amen. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Give me his Holy Spirit. And what I like about this, I was listening to um, an old Jesus movie last night called Pioneers, Early Christian. And um, one of the, I think it was David Meese said, I finally figured out that God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise so that he'll get all the glory. And um, the people that I were looking at um, were not qualified. But with the anointing of the Lord upon that person, uh, they would give the glory to the Lord and um, God chooses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. Case in point. (laughs) Foolish things of the world to confound. Just exercising um, uh, that gift. I want you to look at another one. So here it was for the building up of the saints, but there's another reason for the laying on of hands. Have you turned to the book of James chapter five. James chapter five. Another reason for the laying on of hands. It says in James 5, verse 13, is any among you suffering? There's a lot of suffering going on today. Judy and I were driving to church this morning, two blocks down the road, just two blocks away from us, three squad cars, yellow tape all the way around the house. Crime scene. Use your imagination. The front door was open but is there suffering going on in the world today? We all know people here who are right, they're right at the precipice and um, they could snap that quick or say I went out because they, they're suffering. Is any among you suffering? suffering, let him pray. Well he's talking to believers here but my heart goes out to the people in the world who don't know Jesus and they don't have the hope that we have or the insight of what's coming down, case in point, Mary's update this morning, and bring, keep, keeping us not only in on a worldly perspective of what's going on, but a biblical perspective. Has to be a one-world government. Has to be a one-world religion. And uh, we see these these things unfolding. But here in James five, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. This is laying on of hands, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven. So number four, the laying on of hands. Uh, Let's go back to, again, Hebrews, to the fifth one. Hebrews chapter six we find that after the laying on of hands, we have the resurrection of the dead. Well, this is the heart of the gospel. For this one, I'd like you to turn with me to First Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15. And I'm gonna read the first four verses. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which you are saved, if you hold fast that word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, the resurrection. Let's go down as it pertains to you and I, down in verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is also vain. Yes, and we have found ourselves false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom if he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise, for if the dead do not rise, and Christ is not risen, and if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Now there is a scary thought. In other words, you're wasting your time being here this morning. You're wasting your time calling yourself a Christian if you don't have the elementary principles of the resurrection of the dead. That's what it's all about. It goes on to say, then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are men most, I would use the word miserable. This is the blessed hope that we have. that But now Christ is risen from the dead and it has become the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. This is the first five chapters of the book of Romans. Here it is, for in Adam all die, even so in Christ all will be made alive. Point number five in the ABCs of the elementary principles is the resurrection of the dead. The last one, go back to Hebrews 6, says, and the laying on, Um, resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. Uh, Turn with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 20. And we're looking at verses 11 through 15. The Bible says, once to die and then the judgment. No exceptions, except those who will be taken in the rapture. Eternal judgment, verse 11, chapter 20. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, whose face the earth and the heavens fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God and books were opened. And another book was opened, which the book of life And the dead were judged according to their works by the things that were written in the books. My friends, you need to understand, nobody is getting away with anything. To the smallest evil thought you've had, to the worst sin you ever committed, if you have not accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, there will be a day of reckoning. And the technology that exists today that Mary was talking about, that's nothing to our Heavenly Father who has had it all written down in his books. And you will be judged according to your works and you'll have to declare yourself guilty. And um, that's what this means here. And by the things that are written in the book, the sea gave up the dead who were in it and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them and they were judged each one according to his works. The last thing I want is to be judged according to my works. I want grace, grace, and more grace. Amen? No works. <laughs> Paul said, I don't even judge myself. My flesh is so tricky. Um, it would excuse a lot of things that are wrong because that's how tricky my flesh is. I don't like hearing things like, my heart is deceitfully wicked of all things, that in me dwells no good thing. I don't like to hear that, but it's true. And if there is any good that comes out, what does the scripture say? Every good and perfect gift comes from where? Comes from above. So if you um, are thanked for doing something good, you can say thank you. But in the back of your head, you better be saying all the glory Lord goes to you because I know who I am. So that's where we get the the phrase, praise the Lord. (laughs) Praise the Lord for his grace. Death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. And then it says, This is the second death. And anyone found not written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Second death. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 2. Talk a little bit about the second death. Revelation 2, looking at the church of Smyrna in verse 8. It tells us, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, these things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews that are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Um, We're entering into a time of persecution for the church and it's being ramped up on a regular basis. Where they're coming after um, the goal, like an agenda, is socialism, communism, and a takeover of our country. I mean, bottom line. Um, And to do that, there's a couple major obstacles. But you know what they consider the number one threat? The Church of Jesus Christ. Indeed, the devil will throw some of you into prison and you're going to be tested and you're going to have tribulation. I believe we may see that. Be faithful unto death and I'll give you the crown of life and he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Here's actually a promise that he gives to the church. He says, if you're in me, then what we just read in Revelation 20, is not going to apply to you. I'm going to keep you from the second death. And so let's go back to Revelation um, uh, 20. These are the elementary principles or the ABCs of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to go back to baptism for just, well, I'll, I'll, I'll get to that in just a bit. So after the great white throne judgment in Revelation chapter 21, we find there's a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth have passed away. Also there will be no more sea. And we're told here that now we've entered a new era. New heaven, new earth. Chapter 21 is a description of the new Jerusalem where Jesus said in John 14, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. He's talking about the new Jerusalem. If it were so, I would have told you, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again, receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And then Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father. Today's Father's Day. No one comes to the Father except through me. And one of the reasons we're being persecuted is um, the social agenda, equality across the board. It's open for all, your interpretation, whatever. We're different. We're saying, I can't go along with that. You see, I believe that the only way I'm ever gonna see the Father is by accepting Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And that's the only way. And that's gonna be challenged today. The church is being dumbed down because they're getting away from this book. And... um, They're not even in the ABCs because a lot of them don't hold to these six uh, principles that we laid down as ABCs, the elementary principles of being a Christian. They don't even know that today. And so Jesus said, therefore whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father in heaven. Let me get back to baptism as I close this up this morning. And I want you to think about something in baptism. What happens when you're baptized? Well, you're confessing Jesus before men. Some of you might be thinking, but Dwight, you know, I've been a Christian for a long time and I'm older now and even though I was never baptized, you really think I, I should be? And my answer to that is absolutely yes. Absolutely should. Just because of the Bible study uh, this morning. Um, today is Father's Day. Uh, we have a heavenly father. And I was flashing back and reading letters that Dad wrote me after he got saved. And um, um, I know beyond any shadow of a doubt, there's going to be a great reunion in the Dovell family because he was absolutely born again. He was a very wealthy, successful businessman in Oshkosh, owned four barber shops, had a Wick Home franchise, into real estate, and then he got saved. And um, He gave all that up. And he actually died a poor man. But he went door-to-door witnessing with John Higgins for 20 years. So he left what he had in the world. He, He didn't mean to lose all that money. He just did because he said, at 50 years old, I feel like I've wasted my whole life. So he actually started all over. That's called being born again, old things passing away. Now, don't get me wrong. Um, I don't like the fact that um, he lost his businesses and so on and so forth. But that was a cost that he counted. And he's home. I don't think he regrets it one bit. My point is, um, I had an earthly father that I really respected and looked up to and the decisions that he made after he came to Christ. But um, getting back to being baptized... I personally did not get baptized for two years. In 1972, um, after I was, it was explained to me, I said I accepted Jesus and I was already baptized. And they said, no, you need to be baptized after you accept the Lord. I go, really? And they go, yeah, you also need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, really? And so I was fellowshipping with the Jesus people down in Milwaukee and got baptized by this um, black preacher. And um, when I got baptized, I came out of that water speaking in tongues and had the gift of tongues ever since. Not that everybody has it. There's different gifts that have and First Corinthians 12 says not everybody has that. So you may or you may not. But my point in um, closing this morning is after I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, well, I just had to tell somebody. So I went to something that's called Expo 72, and I'll close with this story this morning. Expo 72 was a week gathering. It was the first Jesus festival. Billy Graham was there, and um, every major Christian musician at the time, and speakers and seminars, the purpose was to go out every night, and let people, we'd witness the people on the street, we're talking tens of thousands of people in 72. And then it would culminate at the end of the week in uh, Dallas's football stadium, packed to the max, Billy Graham preaching. Doesn't get any better than that. And a lot of people got saved. I left there because basically up to that point, I was living Before I came back to Wisconsin, I was living in Aspen, Colorado. I'm nothing more than a ski bum. And um, knew Jesus but didn't know anything else. So this is 49 years ago. I started witnessing to my old friends about the Lord. And um, some of them actually got saved. My best friend got saved And back in those days, we would do crazy things like at 10 o'clock at night, we'd say something like, why don't we go to California tonight? And we did. And there was maybe 12 people living in this one place, so we had two vans. And we decided at 10 o'clock at night, we're going to go to California. What for? Who cares? And that was the mentality of living in Aspen in 1972. So, the two vans took off and we're on a way. We're outside of Reno, Nevada. And we couldn't find the other van. They were supposed to be following us right behind us, but they got lost. So we had to pull over to the side of the road and wait for them. And wait and wait and wait. So I'm outside. I'm getting bored. so I just took my Bible and started reading it. Well, we we're literally in the middle of the Nevada desert. And where we stopped in the middle of nowhere, there was this guy standing across the street, but he was going east and we were going west. He had a guitar. And he came over to me and he goes, you're not Christians, are you? That's what he said. And I go, yeah, I'm just sitting here reading my Bible. And I go, why do you ask? And he said, well, I'm running away from the Lord. I said, you're running away from the Lord. I said, do you have any reason while we're sitting out in the middle of this desert right now waiting for this other van? We're not waiting for this other van. The Lord sent us all the way from Aspen, Colorado to the middle of the desert because you're running away from God. <laughs> he says, you're right. I said, what are, He said, what are the chances? I said, you need to repent. Go back to the Christian house you were living in that you're running away from. He was living in a Christian house um, right next to Lake Tahoe. And so we're driving b- to take him back to his place. And I said, have you been baptized? This is probably the first person I ever baptized 49 years ago. And he says, no, I haven't been baptized. I says, the Bible says you need to be baptized. You're running away from the Lord. And the Lord sent us all the way out here just for you. And so I baptized him in Lake Tahoe. In 1972, he went back to his Christian house and he quit playing Jonah. And then when the other van finally pulled up and we went on our way, we got to Lake Tahoe, and we're all, we're thinking, boy, that was a long drive. Do you really want to go to California? And they said, no. So we turned around, two of us hitchhiked back to Wisconsin, my friend Pete Thompson from Oshkosh. Me and him hitchhiked back to Oshkosh, and these other guys went back to Aspen because I was living there. What's your point, Dwight? Well, if you're not been baptized, you need to be. Why? Because Jesus said so. Let me put it in this context. Let's say you go out tomorrow and you lead somebody to Christ, all right? And uh, they become born again. And then they say, now what do I do? Well, you need to be baptized. Can you tell them that if you haven't been baptized yourself? You can't. But you can if you have. And so it's being obedient in that single thing. We're having our baptism at the Marsh's house in September. There's a sign out sheet up there. And um, you have a free will. Do what you want to. But I hope God's word is spoken to your heart this morning on the doctrine of baptism we do it as an act of obedience because our lord told us to and we can't tell anybody else to do it unless we've done it ourselves now i want to close this is the third time i said that right okay um with this is father's day right i want you to go to revelation 22 here literally is my favorite verse in the bible oh dwight you say that of all the verses you read No, this really is. Because it's Father's Day, we read um, about chapter 22, the very last chapter in the Bible. It tells us in verse three that when we get to heaven, there will be no more curse, but the throne of God and the lamb shall be in it and his servants shall serve him, and here it is, and they shall see his face. Our heavenly father has a face and I'm gonna see it someday. And his name shall be on their foreheads. There will be no night there. There no need of lamp or the sun. For the Lord God gives them light and they shall reign forever and ever. Now verse 16, the closing of the word of God. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and offspring of David and the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let him who hears, come, and let him who is thirsty, come, and whoever desires, let him come and take of the water freely. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anybody adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in the book. If anyone takes away the words from the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life and from the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. And God's word ends here. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And we all said it, Amen. amen. Let's stand and we'll close in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. I pray, first of all, for any who have never bowed the knee and turned from their dead works and by faith turned towards you by faith. So I pray for that person this morning, Lord. And um, as we spend this afternoon um, celebrating Father's Day with our earthly fathers, uh, we leave here this morning with this blessed hope of someday actually beholding you, seeing you face to face, and then living and reigning with you forever and ever and ever. And we thank you for this eternal promise, and we thank you for the glorious hope. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.